0: get your seats. We'll start this morning with our opening song. All right, let's stand together and sing the song. Here we go. morning we have two questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read them together. What do you understand by the providence of God? The Almighty upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them like grass, rain and drought, fruitful years and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand, what does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future, we should have confidence in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall
1: separate us from his love. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome. My name is Paul Phillips. I'm the pastor here at Christ Community Church, and let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we are here to be reminded that there really is only one firm foundation. It's not a job, it's not health, it's not another person, it's not a bank account. It's not what we wear or what we drive or where we live or what country. things together. This morning that you would... Best way for us to have uh, that information as well. Um, If you're a college student, we have college night that started last Wednesday night. It's every Wednesday night at
2: things that Paul Phillips is is, uh, good at reminding us of in his annual Founder's Day sermon is the need to stay uh, grounded in truth and the the dangers of getting even a little bit off track. The Focus on the Family Organization has produced a uh, video lesson series that is uh, designed to uh, help us shape and maintain a uh, biblical worldview. It's a um, it's an excellent series. It's um, it's uh, packed full of information each week. Um, by uh, biblical worldview, we mean considering all things in the context of God the Creator and viewing all things through the lens of His Word. Uh, the series is led by a gentleman named Dr. Dell Tackett. He's a, um, I think he's a pretty brilliant guy, an excellent teacher. He was in the Air Force for about 20 years working in national security, and he's been a uh, university professor uh, for several years. Um, he was formerly president of Focus on the Family Institute. He's now uh, doing something with uh, Coral Ridge. Um, but that is the, he's the leader. There's also some, uh, I guess you'd say cameo appearances by people like Oz Guinness and uh, R.C. Sproul and Ravi Zacharias, uh, people who you would recognize as, um, as thought leaders in the in the Christian evangelical uh, community, um, it's an—we think it's an excellent series. It's a great opportunity. Uh, we think for uh, for those of you who are uh, would like to consider uh, what it means to have a biblical worldview, to uh, to begin that process and to focus. But like I said, there's 12 lessons, and and Will is going to talk uh, briefly about uh, about what the content is. And then, then we have a a short uh, uh, video to show you as
3: well. Okay, I'll be brief because the video is ready. Um, You'll hear things as we go through this study like the truth of God versus the lies of the world. Um, You'll hear things like we're on a tour, we're on a journey. And that's what he's doing. He's taking you through a journey of every aspect of society and how God says it should be and how the world says it should be, okay? Okay. Um, some of the things that he will address will be things such as uh, truth. Veritology is what he calls it. It's a word he made up. Um, philosophy and ethics. Anthropology. Theology. Science. History. Sociology. Unio mystica, which means am I alone. The state, whose law. The American experience. The, excuse me, the American experiment. Labor. We're created to create and community and involvement. So Rick says the video's ready, so let it roll.
4: be the most important tour of your life. It's going to be a worldview tour. We are going to turn and gaze upon the face of God. What should we hear? What should we see? You are going to be amazed. Why did Jesus come into the world? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know From time to time, we're going to bring some experts into the classroom.
1: The world is reeling with uncertainty. It's
4: almost like it's in the air.
2: Truth is fundamentally about who God is. We're challenged to either confront culture, to abandon it, or transform it. Is our culture
4: filled with lies? This is a battle of worldviews.
2: Do you really believe that what
4: you believe is really real? evil? What is it? Where did it come from? Why is it in the world? Who is God? Who is God? Who is man? What does God say about who man is? What takes us captive? What is intent? What is the world's view of work? God is a God of social order. We're going to look at economics, art, media, music, and literature in this sphere of labor. We're going to look at the area of philosophy and ethics. Everything is about relationships. There is no direction you can travel in which God has not spoken. We get over 250,000 letters and phone calls at Focus every month. And if you were to listen in on some of those, it would make your heart break. The body of Christ has so bought the lies of the world that we have not only conformed to the world, but we are suffering deeply from the consequences of believing those lies. We have become convinced that the only long-term solution to this problem is to rebuild those foundations, to build again that comprehensive biblical worldview within God's people. One of the effects of a comprehensive and systematic biblical worldview is that you're not as easy to fool. The effect we want to see upon people's lives is that they have that ability to discern and to be able to fend off uh, those lies and the illusions uh, that bombard them from every quarter of life. I guess in the end, what we're really after is that we will see God's people hunger for Him, that they will continually be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And what that means is when He weeps, we weep. What He calls evil, we see as evil. What He calls glorious and good, we see as glorious and good. How do I know I exist? And if I do exist, why do I exist? If I think I exist, where did that thought come from? We're going to build the final pillar history. We're going to look at the American experiment. Interest, union, communion, fellowship, love. The God of the universe dwells within me? Wow.
2: Okay, I hope that gets uh, you interested or excited. If um, we, Will and I have done with others uh, the series in our uh, in a, in a community group, small group, and we're excited to be able to do this uh, for Adult Sunday School. One of the challenges is going to be it's twelve lessons and the, and the videos are are sixty minutes approximately each. So uh, we're kind of sorting through the the best way to do that. Right now, we're thinking we would like to start uh, the class promptly at nine o'clock. Uh, run the video, and save some time for discussion uh, following. Uh, we may play with that a little bit as we proceed with either trying to shorten the videos or carry over from week to week. But um, that's the plan. If you got any questions, let us know. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Tom. Um, the rest of us are stuck without a video. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you about my video? Yeah. Uh, one of the classes is uh, the leadership um, – class that we do here that lasts, oh, six months, five or six months, it'll start uh, like the rest of these classes, and it's really meant it for two things. First of all, anybody who's interested in leadership as a whole, it's a great class for. It's mostly taught by me and, uh, and some of the other elders. Uh, those who are leading small groups or in Sunday leading Sunday school classes or in leadership in some form or fashion, it's for those folks. And then anybody who wants to become an officer of a church, it's for those folks as well. So if you have an interest in uh, going through the material, it's about 10 weeks of theology and then about 10 weeks or so of more practical pieces of peacemaking or uh, how the church functions and that sort of thing. So uh, you'll see more about that, but that's the leadership class.
2: Uh, as a Christian, of course, you base your faith on the Bible. The revealed word of God, and uh, the class that uh, one of the classes that is always going to be ongoing is a actual Bible study. Uh, Right now we are studying, uh, finishing up the uh, Gospel of Matthew, and when we resume uh, our classes uh, in August, we'll be on.
0: Thank you.
1: had his encounter with the Lord. Something about that for me this morning. He said, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he was mostly aware of himself. How he wasn't holy. He said, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. So we... Leonardo and his buddy are out at the bow of the ship, and they're just feeling this. Just we're, we're we're this is just such a perfect moment. You remember in just such a goofy way, wasn't it goofy? Even if you're a chick, it was goofy, wasn't it? He he sort of jumps up on the rail there, and and what does he say? He spreads his arms out and he says, "I'm the king of the world," and the music just booms. Well, that's one reason I didn't see the movie. Um, And I'm sure there was written in this irony that two hours later, Leonardo is not going to be king of the world. He's going to be hanging on to a raft and he's going to be dying. As I said, this this sermon is really the second half of last week's sermon. And if you remember, the the picture I had of James in this particular passage was like a, a lifeguard at the beach. And you, you've entered in to where his stand is, and he's put out the red warning flag. And he's telling us something that we need to see. And he's he's saying, just as a novice, as you enter the beach, you may not be able to see it so clearly. So you look at the stand, and he's saying, hey, there may be some kind of danger here that you couldn't see on the surface. And this morning, he's describing a very dangerous Rip current, A very dangerous undertow. And it's just beneath the surface. And if you're not aware of it, this undertow can drag you out to sea and you can eventually drown. And that undertow, as James talks about here in verses 13 through 17, is what I'm calling the undertow of self-sovereignty. It's, it's a mighty... Mighty undertow. And you may not be able to see it just at the surface. But you can get into your life and that undertow can just suck you right out into the ocean and drown you. Because you feel like you're king of the world. You you feel like I've got everything under control. And of course, you don't often say it quite the way Leonardo said it. But you act as if. You've got your life under control. You've got your world in a manageable place. It's, it's possible that some of us have been sucked out in the undertow or, or that we're being sucked out and that you're actually much farther from safety than you would imagine. And in these few verses, although the application is wide enough uh, for any audience, the, the undertow of self-sovereignty can suck out any individual. The strength of the undertow of self sovereignty can suck out a whole business. The, the strength of self sovereignty can can suck out a whole country. Even though it has this wide application, James, I think specifically in the examples that he's using, has a particular person or people in mind. Remember, he's the pastor of a church. He's hearing things in his congregation. He's trying to address different issues. And I think specifically, he's addressing people in business. His example is uh, a businessman, somebody involved in buying and selling, somebody involved in making a profit. And, and maybe it's because this is the environment that that seems to have the, the greatest pull you you feel like you're you've gotten into a business you feel like you're you're moving and you think gosh if I if I just get the right degree if I if I just get into the right business if I if I catch just a few breaks if I work hard enough then I'll finally arrive and when I arrive I'll be completely independent in the opening verse here verse 13 come now Come now, you who say this. Come, come, you, you businessmen. He, he's trying to say it in a forceful way. It's it's written in the Greek as a as a forceful way of saying to people who could be being sucked out in this undertow of self sovereignty. He's trying to do this. Wake up. Pay attention. Like like a coach who who can't get the right people to pay attention to the drill. He's like, okay, guys. All eyes on me. Everybody's got to be looking at me right now. This is a critical drill. And James is saying the same thing. He's saying, I know you don't see it, but just beneath the surface that looks very calm is this huge undertow called self-sovereignty, called I'm in control. I'm king of the world. And you can step right into it and get ripped right out into the sea. So he's trying his best to say, don't fall asleep here. If you're the kind of person that even in the midst of James is preaching to you this morning, you're mentally going through a list of, this is what I'm going to do tonight. And I know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning. I've got to think about that. I've got to make sure I write this down when I get home. And next week I'll be sure to, if you're that kind of person, this is the message for you. The one who's got it all charted out, who's making sure everything's going to come out just as they would anticipate. And so we have an outline here. First, the thing that James does is he identifies the problem for us. Very easy to see. He gives a specific example of what he's hearing in this congregation. How the problem manifests itself. And then how to begin to get out from this undertow. The problem, very easily identified in verse 16, is arrogant boasting. This is what he's talking about. A a kind of boasting that is evil. And the original uh, word for boasting, the the word picture was a, a wanderer. Somebody who would wander around from town to town And it was sort of coupled with the idea of the person who was a salesman. And so the picture you're supposed to get is sort of from the old days, the charlatan who would roll into town and he would set up a little shop. He'd get up on his little box and he'd say, I've got this special ointment for you. And no matter what it was that you had wrong with you, this ointment was the key for your health. And so that's what's happening here. James is saying that, that people in his congregation are making claims about themselves that they couldn't possibly back up. Just like the charlatan is making a claim about a product that the product could never possibly live up to, people in his congregation are making claims about themselves that they can't possibly live up to. Now, we don't have these snake oil salesmen standing on a box anymore. They've gone to uh, infomercials. Sham wow, that kind of stuff. They're making this big boast saying, you know, sham wow can clean up a chemical oil spill in one swipe. But you know it doesn't do that. It can't possibly do that. But James is looking at his congregation and said, there's some of you out there. and, And it's not about a product. The boast you're making is, it's about yourself." You think you're more in control than you actually are. You've been caught in this undertow of self-sovereignty. And it's coming out as a, an arrogant boasting. He, he's looking at people who have spent so much time thinking about themselves. Looking at themselves. Examining their bottom line. Examining their retirement portfolios. Looking at the calendar. Staring at their iPhones. That they just can't see God anymore. They've spent so much time looking at themselves that they just can't look at God. And, of course, this manifests itself in all kinds of ways. And I think one of the things that um, is funny to me, because I'm not a real techno guy, is um, you get on an airplane. And what does the steward say? You've got to turn every electronic thing off, Right. And then as soon as the plane hits the ground, she says, you know, you can turn your cell phone back on. What happens? I mean, like the world might have exploded while you were up in the air and you've lost touch. You got to make sure you got, I mean, you got email. Did I get emails in the last two and a half hours? Did I get emails in this flight? Did I get, did something happen in my world? I got to check in and, and people got to know I'm on the ground now and whoa, good. You, you landed. I mean, you have to contact people who probably were happy. You were out of contact with them. But it happens all the time. You, you just are driven by a sense of of self-importance and this undertow in our culture and in James' culture is is easily seen. One of the the insidious problems with this problem of self-sovereignty, is that we live in a culture, and apparently James did too to some degree, that actually promotes you moving in this direction. The more self-sovereign you are, the more cheers from the culture you get. Oh, you've finally gotten independence. You finally can be in control of your own schedule. You finally arrived. And 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 you that's the place that you want to be. It's the American dream and, and the further or the, the closer you get to it, the more people say, Yeah, you're getting there, you're gonna you're gonna get what you want, you're gonna to be totally independent. And so we have a problem in our culture is that we we this self sovereignty is cheered on by the culture we live in. Some of you a few of you will know a man named John Guest. He was uh, actually an evangelist uh, from England to America in the 60s and has since gone on to plan and pastor a church in the Pittsburgh area. And I had the pleasure of meeting him several years ago. And he tells the story that when he arrived in America, uh, he took an interest, not surprisingly, being from England, in Revolutionary War memorabilia. And so in the, the Pennsylvania area, which is where he lived, he would go to these different antique shops and he would see different things that had to do with the Revolutionary War. And one of the things that he liked to just notice is it's not any kind of sign or any kind of placard that had something written on it. And he ran into the regular types of don't tread on me or no taxation without representation. But then he tells about a time that he he came into a store and the sign says we serve no sovereign here that that's the dna of the american experience hey what we want you to know is we don't serve a sovereign here and as an evangelist he he asked this question how is it you can evangelize people and help people see the kingdom of God who have a built-in allergy to sovereignty. It's because they're caught in this undertow of self-sovereignty, wanting to make sure they're the one who's in control. They are the king of the world. James is warning against making plans that has... Brought God out of the equation. And, and this is not new. James isn't so, sort of seen something that's brand new. He's seen it before. He's heard it before probably from his half brother Jesus. And you remember the story. Jesus is in the middle of the sermon, Luke chapter 12. And right in the middle of the sermon, Jesus discovers that somebody in the middle of his sermon is not paying attention to his sermon. Can you believe that? I mean, stunning. That in the middle of the sermon, someone's actually thinking about something else. And so in the middle of this sermon, the, per, the person who interrupts the sermon is obviously concerned about their financial future. So in the middle of this sermon about eternity, somebody's sitting in the crowd going, I'm worried about my finances. And in the middle of the sermon, somebody this person pops up and asks Jesus a question about finances. And Jesus turns and tells the parable about a man who was a farmer. You remember the parable? He had such a a good year, he couldn't even hold all the food that he had been given. So he decides, hey, I'm going to build a barn. I'm going to fill up the barn. And then finally, I'm going to be totally free. I'm going to be totally self-sufficient. I'm going to be totally independent. And this is what it says. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones where I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That's the American dream. I mean, if we could have a placard for what you would hear, if you just get out, if you just get the right degree, and if you succeed, here's what success is going to look like. You're going to have ample, and you won't have to do anything else. And the cheering would just be in a roar. And Jesus understands that that's what this guy's aiming for, and he looks at this guy, and what does he say? You're a fool. You've made a foolish goal. You have no idea what's going to happen to you and what happens to the man in the story. The next day he dies. You see, James is saying the same thing. He's just not using a story. He's saying the exact same thing. Here's a person boasting. Here's a businessman boasting, saying, I know I'm going to go here. I know it's going to last year. I know I'm going to make a profit. And James is trying to look at that person in his congregation as Jesus was trying to look at the man in his congregation and say, That's foolish. Maybe that you're caught in this undertow. You could be a college student caught in this undertow. You could be a businessman caught in this undertow. You could be a mother caught in this undertow, just trying to make sure that Jesus. These few things come together, then you'll finally have arrived. You'll finally be independent. And I would say that if that's your thinking, you should consider it a great kindness and mercy of God that he would have you come here this morning and hear him say through me, as kindly and as tenderly as I can say it, you're a fool. If I'm going over a cliff and I'm going faster and faster towards the cliff, I don't care who you are. If you say, you're a fool, turn around, I'm going to be thankful for that person. Am I not? And so you could be somebody who's going off this cliff of self-sovereignty and Jesus is trying to say, that's just foolish. You're just a, a mist. Look outside of yourself. Look up instead of in. And so how does this manifest, this problem manifest itself in James's congregation? We know what the problem is, it's this arrogant boasting. But James just uses an example of a typical thing that he's apparently hearing around in his con- congregation. Some people are saying, well, today or tomorrow we go in such and such town, we, we spend a year there, we make a trade, we make a profit. This is the conversation James is hearing. And James is saying, Well, I, I know what's in your heart. And that is that you're just totally self-centered. You, you see it. We, to, today, we will go into such and such a town. We will spend a year there. We will make a profit. It's the same thing as the man who built the barns. It's all about what he was going to be able to do and what he was going to be able to accomplish. I don't know if you're familiar. It's gotten a little bit more popular recently with a movie about Nelson, uh, Nelson Mandela. But this poem called Invictus. The last pretty famous lines of the the poem. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And so that's what James is looking at. That's what he's trying to look at in his some of the people in his congregation. It's the people who think they're the captain of their soul. And obviously this businessman is saying, I'm the captain of my soul because I know that I can control time. Today, tomorrow, next year, I'm the captain of my choices. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to do this work. I'm the captain of my success. I know I'm going to make a profit. And I I wonder how many of us know, all of us probably read about, but how many of us know a businessman who thought four years ago he was captain of his soul? And in the economy and in the real estate, he lost it all. And some of us know people who killed themselves after that. They were riding this huge wave and they were the captain of their souls. They were standing on the bow. They were saying, I'm king of the world. And then it all came crashing down and they had no foundation. Or their foundation came crashing down with them and it was shattered. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding." In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil, and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So James can say, I can hear the problem. out of the heart is out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. so i'm I'm hearing it in the congregation. I'm hearing these. Kinds of conversations going on, so I'm aware of what's happening. And so he wants to address this undertow of self-sovereignty and help us move out of this undertow. The first thing he says, look at what he says. First of all, verse 14, you don't know. You don't know. If I were Robert Campbell, first of all, I'd have my sweat towel up here and I'd be going like that. But I'd say, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you don't know. You don't know. That's one of the critical things. You and I don't know. And if you and I can wake up and just say, God, I'm likely to be swept right out to sea with self-sovereignty. So the first thing I want to remind myself today is, I don't know. I'm making some plans, that's fine, but in the end, I don't know. Leonardo, you don't know. You don't know in two two hours you're going to be dead. At the end of this movie, you're going to be blue, floating off into the water. You don't know. Harold Camping, the guy who predicted the end of the world. Harold, you don't know. I mean, you thought you knew, but you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't care how you've read your Bible backwards. James looks at his congregation and and he's looking at these people who, who think they're going to be successful next year. And he's trying to say, you don't know. It's helpful just in your own life to look back and ask yourself how many things have happened that you don't know. How many times did you wake up and the day was, you know what, I could have never guessed that. How many of us 10 years ago would have thought we would be sitting here in this church? You don't know. I mean, I love when Jason Pogue uh, stood up here a couple of weeks ago. He said, five years ago, I wasn't a Christian. Tomorrow, I'm going to seminary. You don't know. How many people woke up in Joplin, Missouri in May? They didn't know. How many woke up on the the coast of Japan in March? They didn't know. How many people got on a plane or went to the World Trade Center on 9-11 and thought, hey, this is just another day. Got my plane, got my day timer, got my calendar. You don't know. You don't know so many things about your whole life. When I'm four years old and I'm playing at home and I'm having a good time and I say, bye, Dad, I'll see you at dinner. And he goes out and because he's a helicopter pilot and the plane crashes and he dies, he never comes back. You don't know. You just don't know. You, you have these same experiences all through your life. 1981, I walk on the campus of Furman University. First day, I walk over to introduce myself to... Some females at Furman University. I mean, what I want to make sure everybody knows, I'm here. In the first little group that I meet, by their good luck, I'd say, Hey, what's your name? My name's Nancy Cochran. Blonde hair, blue eye girl from New Jersey. Did I know that's who I was going to marry? You don't know. The day I'm graduating, I'm getting ready for graduation. I'm going to, I've, my car is packed, I'm headed back to Winston-Salem, and I get a phone call, hey, this is the Atlanta Braves, we need you down here today. And I said, well, I'm graduating today, can you come tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. So I never went back to Winston, I went to Atlanta. You don't know. In 2002, I stood up at a meeting that was starting the church. And I said, hey, we're just going to try to get this going, and... We don't know what's going to happen, but this is the one thing we do know. I'm just the spokesman. And the first thing we're going to have to do if this church is going to get started is we're going to have to form a committee to find a decent pastor. We're still looking for that committee. But see, when I stood up, I didn't know. I had no idea. I thought I knew. I thought I knew exactly what was going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow. But you you, you have the same diary, do you not? You can think of hundreds of times where you wake up, you don't know. And it's a way of God saying, yeah, keep your eyes off yourself. Look at me. Look at the person who does know. Look at the person who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the first thing that helps us move out of this self-sovereignty is to just remind ourselves that you don't know. So, you don't know is a phrase, and then James comes up with a picture. Here's the picture. James doesn't have this back then, but this is what he, if he did, he'd say, Here's my sermon illustration. This is you. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't that exciting, was it? I mean, it didn't last that long. Hey, that's Paul. What happened to Paul? Where'd Paul go? I mean, that's James throughout the sermon. He's just or this whole letter. He's giving one illustration after another. And he's saying, let's just examine your life real quick Chris, because it's gone. Golly, I just couldn't even get my eyes focused before you faded away. That's what you are. That's what I am. We're just this tiny little mist. Would you build your whole life on a vapor? Hey, here's what I want to start with a vapor. Not a good starting point, James is saying. Build your life on something that's more solid, and, and the Bible just has hundreds of examples of Bible verses that trying to catch our attention off of self-sovereignty, which is a problem from Genesis chapter three on. Job chapter 14: "Man, born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He springs up like a flower and withers away like a fleeting shadow. He does not endure. Psalm 78, men are but flesh, a passing breeze that doesn't return. Ecclesiastes, written by the smartest and wealthiest man on the planet. For who knows what is good for a man's life during a few and meaningless days? He passes through like a shadow. Who can tell him what will happen after he's gone? Isaiah 40, all men are like grass, all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Proverbs 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. See, you don't know. You don't know. You're not in control. You're a little missed. If you really begin to process that, here's one of the application points. What it should bring you. Rest. If you're not at rest, you're getting sucked out in the undertow of self-sovereignty. Because if God is who He is, and if He is in control, then guess what? You can give up being God. He's not looking for an apprentice. He's saying, you know what? I can be God. You be a mist. You're good at that. And you can say, I, I don't know. I'm not going to be here that long. In a hundred years, probably nobody on the planet's even going to know I even existed. So I'm okay with God being God and Him being in control, and I'll just do the part that He's given me to do. I can be at rest. Finally, James says positively. So, so you're saying, I don't know, I'm a mist and I want to I want to work something into my vocabulary, which is something like, well, just say if the Lord wills that you're putting him in the equation. If you're ever going to change a habit. You've got to change your thinking process about that habit. And James is saying, let's let's start with what comes out of your mind and, and we, want, we want to sort of ingrain in your vocabulary something that you're going to say, something that you're going to do that indicates, I'm saying, if the Lord, if the Lord wants it, then it'll happen. And you, you've run into people who say, Lord willing, you know, I'll be there tomorrow. That's fine. And it's not some sort of goofy little catchphrase that you're supposed to say, Lord willing, I'll meet you at the back and shake your hand. I mean, you know, it's, it's something that you're working into the vocabulary of your life that people are understanding. He, he's saying... God's really in control of this. I'm going to do what I can, but ultimately, it's up to God. Which is really what Jesus teaches in his prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. See what you're saying? Not my will be done but Thy will be done. So when I'm praying for my kids, Thy will be done. When I'm praying for the church, Thy will be done. When you're praying for your business, Thy will be done. When you're praying for your country or your city, Thy will be done. What I'm about is what You're about, God, not what I'm about. The, the, the phrase, I don't, I don't use uh, the phrase, Lord willing, that often, but one of the phrases that's rolling around in my mind uh, as a pastor This is the one I've incorporated for me when I'm meeting with with somebody. It comes from John chapter three when people are coming to John the Baptist asking about who he is to define who he is, and also when you define who you are, you're you're defining who you are not. And this, I'm just borrowing this phrase, and this is the phrase that goes through my mind when I sit down and talk with people. I'm not the savior. See, I'm not the savior. I can open up doors. I can say things that are truthful, but I'm not. I'm not the savior. That's that's helpful for me as I help people. I'm I'm not saving anyone. And I don't know what the the phrase is for you. I don't know what the language is for you to start incorporating. Hey, I'm going to start incorporating in the, the way I think, what I say. So I'm, I'm intentionally putting God back into the equation. The, the, the surface looks very calm. And it's very easy to stand at the top of your life and say, I'm king of the world. I, I'm in total control. But James is saying there's a powerful undertow. Started back in Genesis 3 when we thought we could be God. And some of us may have been sucked out in that undertow. And James is trying to say, pay attention, wake up, don't, don't drown in this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we all confess that because of sin, we really are wanting to be self-sovereign. Perhaps hanging in the inner chamber of some of our hearts this morning is a sign that says, I serve no sovereign here. And mercifully, you have brought us to this word this morning for you to address us and hear us say, you foolish person. Do not go in that direction. That's leading to your death, not leading to life. And so, Lord, you help us. Help us to know how to be wise and plan. But having you in the equation of our lives, of our mind, and of how we speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.